When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 113, and we are recording on January 10th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. The snow has melted. I am free. Yay. <laughs> I know. I went to uh, the pharmacy yesterday, and like walking was not a hazard, nor did my <laughs> face freeze while I was going, and I was like, this is glorious. <laughs> it feels like the end, like the sequel to winter is coming like whatever the end of game of thrones is this is the the, the postscript like, yeah we're all yeah. emerging from the I, and winter. i like i know in my head that it'll get cold again and weird and like it'll probably snow some more but like at the moment i'm just reveling in the not snow not freezing yes same so um what are you reading amanda i am reading shadow song by sj jones yes. which is, i know i love it so this is the sequel to winter song <laughs> Um, which came out last year, the year before, mm-hmm. uh, which I love and like don't talk about enough. But I'm gonna think change. I think change that. It's a series that ba- takes place in Bavaria randomly in like the 18th century. Um, it is about a, a young girl and her family. Well, she's not young. She's like 19. A girl and her family who uh, live like run an inn, and they're all musicians. Um, and she gets kidnapped by the Goblin King and marries him and like lives underground. It's very. It's like the labyrinth meets. Like the Persephone myth, but set in 18th century Bavaria. Yes. Um, yeah. Accurate. Yes. Very, very well done. Oh, so, and it's like so great. It's like very melancholy. And the main character, I did not realize this when I read it, but it's it's much more obvious in the second book. And it, it is mentioned in the prequel or in the, the author's note in the second book. Um, the main character has bipolar disorder. And so it's like very moody and highs and lows. And it's very romantic. And there's like a kind of dominant submissive aspect to the romance. So that's like an interesting twist and, and all that. it's just really great. And so at the, I'm not, I, I can't explain anything about the sequel that I'm reading because it spoils the ending of the first one. But so suffice it to say, it's just really great and I'm liking it a lot. What about you? <laughs> I need that book immediately. Yes. Um, I am reading, so we're still doing the Great Tortal reread uh, in Insiders, and we're on the Protector of the Small series, which I had never read before. I'd read all of the other Tortal books at some point, but I'd never read the Kell books, and oh, my goodness, I am really loving them, <laughs> which is nice because I like the Dane books, but I don't love them in the way that I love the Becca Cooper books or the Alana books. Um, but man, Kel is great. I'm just really super enjoying it. So if you ha- if you don't know, like the original, you know, sort of Song of the Lioness quartet was where Alana, like, you know, pretended to be a boy to become a knight. And so after she becomes a knight, they change the rules so that girls can, like, apply, I guess, to to be to go through the schooling. But no girls take them up on this until Kel. And the dude in charge of, like, 
night school is like, I, I didn't agree to this. I wasn't in charge when this rule was made. Like, I'm not on board with this. So they do a year's probation for her for the start. Like, if she can prove by the end of the year that she can hack it, then she can stay. But she's like, she's not 100% accepted. She's on probation. And so um, obviously she stays because there's four books in the series. I don't think that's a spoiler. So I'm on the third one now. And I just really love it. Like, it's got all the classic, like, Tamara Pierce elements. Like, there's animals who are, like, smarter than your average bear. And, um... And there's, like, a little bit of magic, but most of the focus in these ones is on, like, fighting and learning to strategize and, like, how do you as a girl fit in with the boys? And I just, they're they're really enjoyable. So, yeah. I'm, I'm digging it. I'm, I'm, in, I'm enjoying myself <laughs> in this reread. It screwed up my reading stats for the year, though. Like, mm. the YA and the, like, white lady author fields got very stacked because of this reread. But that's okay. All right. So how does this show work, you ask? I will tell you. This is, as I said, a reading recommendation show, which means you send us questions about what you should read next or what your book club should read next or what you could give to a friend who's looking for a certain kind of book. Um, All of your reading questions, we will do our best to answer. You can send them via email. It's getbooked at bookriot.com. Or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site. If you have a time-sensitive request or you just want an answer by a certain date, please put that in the either subject line of the email or the first line of the form. We do our best to get to those. If we think we're not going to get to it on the air in time, or if you've asked a question that we've responded to a bunch of times already on the air, we might email you a response. So keep an eye out for those. And I think, Amanda, do people still have time for the giveaway? Yeah, it's over on the 14th and the show goes up tomorrow. So yeah, yeah, they do. Yes. So tell us about the giveaway. All right. So we are giving away our 20 favorite books of 2017. Um, You can see on the site, we did a big post of like our favorite books of the year. And we calculated the top 20, the 20 that got the most votes from the contributor. And we're giving away a big stack of them. So, uh, I mean, you'll probably have heard of most of the books in it. The Hate You Give is in it. Hunger by Roxane Gay, uh, Lincoln and the Bardo, Her Body and Other Parties. Uh, There's something from like every genre, The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue. I was so glad when that book made that time for me. It's like, it's so great. Um, And so we're giving it away to one reader and you have until the 14th, which is Sunday, to enter. So you can go to um, bookriot.com slash bookriottop20, all one word, to enter uh, and check out all the details and the rules and the whatnot and what have you and the full list. Um, of all the books that are in the box. So, Godspeed. Indeed. May the odds be ever in your favor. (laughs) Um, I love saying that. Okay. So, (laughs) I'm going to read our first question, and then Amanda's going to do our first sponsor, and away we will go. The first question is from Morgan, who says, I'm looking for a good book for my boyfriend. He's never really enjoyed reading, but is trying to change that, particularly because his sister and I just gush over books every time we're around each other, and I think he wants in on the fun. He mentioned that he might be interested in something like Stephen King, but the size of the books are too intimidating. I think he would particularly enjoy mysteries or thrillers, but any genre is welcome. The most important thing is that the books are not too long and they're easy to get through, so no complicated structures or long lists of characters. Okay, so our first sponsor is Unearthed by Amy Kaufman and Megan Spooner, which is the duo behind the Starbound trilogy. Uh, Amy is also one of the co-authors of the New York Times bestselling Illumini series. So if you've read that, then you're familiar with her work. Um, so Unearthed is, this is the greatest like tag ever, Indiana Jones meets Laura Croft in space. What? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so this is an epic sci-fi adventure, and it's the first in a duology. Um, so the basic idea is that when Earth intercepts a message 
message from a long extinct alien race, it kind of seems like the solution that humanity has been waiting for. Um, the alien race is called the Undying, and the Undying's advanced technology has the potential to undo tons of problems on Earth, you know, reverse environmental damage, turn our lives around entirely, basically. Uh, and the message that we've received leads us, us, like I'm in the book, leads humanity to planet Gaia, where the, it's, which is like a treasure trove waiting to be explored, or, you know, as humans have a tendency to do, destroyed, <laughs> pillaged, who knows. Um, so the Cross Creek Pictures, which is the production company that made Black Swan and Hacksaw Ridge, has already optioned the book for, uh, for film, it's going to be directed by Doug Lyman, who directed The Born Identity and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So if you are into at all, like, epics, you know, swa- I don't want to say swashbuckling, but, like, not even shoot them up. I don't know what word I'm looking at. Adventures, I guess, is all action movies. <laughs> um, then that's what's going to happen to this book. So it's really, really high octane. And like I said, if you enjoyed the Starbound trilogy, then you definitely need to check that out. So that is Unearthed by Amy Kaufman and Megan Spooner. And thank you for sponsoring the show. Um, okay, so my pick for your boyfriend is Bonfire by Kristen Ritter, uh, which is a mystery thriller that came out last year, and it's short. It's under 300 pages and super fast-paced, and Kristen Ritter is Jessica Jones. So if you have seen Marvel's Jessica Jones on Netflix, um, then you are familiar with this actress, and she has written this book. Uh, so it's about a woman named Abby who was from Indiana, like a tiny little town in Indiana called Barron's, which she has fled. <laughs> she had a terrible childhood, was bullied in school, had a really terrible home life, and she's moved to Chicago and has become a lawyer. She's an environmental lawyer, and, you know, she's doing the thing. Like, thriving career, nice apartment, emptiness inside, lots of booze. So she's basically Jessica Jones, but a lawyer, kind of. Uh, and so she goes back home uh, because she's been tasked it with investi- investigating a plastics company called Optimal, which is the town's lifeblood. Like, the town exists to run this plastics plant. Everybody in town is somehow connected to the plant, works for it, um, is married to somebody who works for it, whatever. And so she is not exactly, like, welcomed back with open arms, if you you know what I mean, because she's coming back to investigate them. And so while she's investigating their environmental crimes, maybe, she starts to realize that it's possible that people who work for the company are somehow connected to the disappearance of a girl named Casey, who Abby went to high school with, um, who no one has seen in years. And they had a really complicated relationship. Casey was a, well, they were friends growing up. And then once they had high school, Casey became this like terrible bully and set out to destroy Abby's life and like everybody else's life. Um, and then when she disappeared after high school, nobody ever heard from her. Uh, but everybody has like a story of like, well, she ran away, you know, she went off to LA to become a famous actor, whatever, like, but nobody actually knows what happened to her. And so Abby continues to dig to try to figure out this connection. And as she does so, she discovers something called the game, which is this ritual in the town um, that has a lot of terrible repercussions for all of the girls and women who live there. So no more plot because of spoilery stuff, but it is just like kind of an old school PI kind of noirish mystery. She's not a PI, she's a lawyer, but it has that, like, she's, you know, real tough and drinks whiskey straight and wears leather jackets like a cool girl kind of a thing. And I kind of loved it. Like, I love her. And it's it's not a groundbreaking thrill. Like, it's not doing new things with the genre. It's very dependable. Like, if, if you're a mystery reader and you like mysteries, then you will like this, I think, if you like the kind of formula of them. Um, it does have a nice feminist slant, which I appreciated. Uh, and Kristen Ritter just, you know, she wrote a page turner and I enjoyed it. So yeah, check that Someone out. Someone mentioned to me that they Kristen wish Ritter. that that book got 
trigger warnings for sexual assault more often. So consider this your trigger warning for sexual assault. Um, Also, that book made me feel like I was having an anxiety attack the whole time I was reading. I was so tense. I was like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen? Like, it was a very, um, page turnery is the right word. Okay, I picked Cuckoo's Calling by Robert Galbraith, who is J.K. Rowling, as we know. Um, And I picked this because it is a mystery, and it does, I thought it moved nice and quick, and it's, what I loved about this book is that it's kind of, the book itself is in love with the mystery genre. Like, when you read it, if you're a mystery fan, you can kind of see that, like, J.K. Rowling really loves procedurals, and so she's like, this is like her ode to procedurals, and she's going to write her own. Um, And it it plays with the genre a bit as well. So uh, this is about the detective in question is uh, Cormoran Strike, whose name, like, let's just talk about that name for a second. <laughs> Amazing. Um, he is a mm-hmm. veteran um, and he is an amputee and he is now like sort of just scraping by as a private investigator. Like he's clearly very damaged from um, his time in the military. He's like very gruff. He has one client. He's going to lose his office. He just broke up with his girlfriend. Like his life is a mess. He's living in his office, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then this like very aristocratic man walks into the door um, and hires him to find out what happened to his sister, who is a supermodel who fell to her death a few months earlier and it was ruled a suicide, but her brother is like, I don't believe it was a suicide and I want you to find out what really happened. Um, and so he, he thinks there's something weird about the case. Like he doesn't love the guy, but he's like, well, I need the money and this guy's going to pay me a lot of money. So I'm going to take it. Um, and so he starts looking into it and like, lo, there are so many twists and turns. Like, it just gets so twisty and turny. And it's um, it's very much like a London story. Like, you get to see all of these different, you know, parts of London. And it has, like, the plucky office secretary who's just, like kind of no nonsense and kind of also a little starstruck by being the secretary to a PI, even if he is kind of like falling apart. Um, and the, the, it's the first in a series. So if he likes it, there's a bunch more. Um, and I just thought it was really enjoyable. Like I, I found it very just fun and like compelling. And, um, I did not see the twist coming exactly. I had like an inkling, but I didn't think it was a super obvious twist. So that's always nice. So yeah, I think it would be like a great sort of, you know, it's, it's easy reading. It's fun reading. It's smart reading. And you don't often get an amputee private investigator as your main character. So that's also lovely. So that's the Cuckoo's Calling, which is the first in the Cormoran Strike series by Robert Galbraith, who is also JK Rowling. I just like saying that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our second question is from Anna, who says, after reading Bad Feminist for my book club and loving it, I've been craving more feminist-y reading. I read We Should All Be Feminists and Men Explain Things to Me. I'm currently listening to Missoula by John Krakauer, and it's completely fascinating. Could you recommend a few of your favorite feminist books? Even novels with strong feminist themes or characters would be good. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, we can recommend feminist books. As a matter of fact, we can. <laughs> um, so I picked The Geek Feminist Revolution by Cameron Hurley because it is a collection of essays about feminism, but also about other stuff in like a, a, the literary kind of life, which I think since you're writing into the show, you probably have a very robust literary life. Um, so it is a collection of essays from Cameron Hurley, who's a Hugo Award-winning writer of really, really, really gritty and disturbing science fiction. Um, and so she is writing about 
being a woman online and also being a woman in a heavily male-dominated genre, uh, despite the fact that most books are read by women, science fiction especially, but publishing in general continues to be a very male-dominated field. Um, and she's writing about women in literature. So, there, for example, there's an essay in there that I really like called In Defense of Unlikable Women, where she's talking about how books with male characters who are gruff and flawed and smoke too many cigarettes and drink too much vodka or whatever are heroes or anti-heroes, but women who are those things are considered unlikable and we never talk about them in a positive way again. So if you consider like Amy from Gone Girl is a terrible sociopath who is terrible and a lot of people completely dismiss that book because they don't like Amy. Whereas Nick is terrible in his own ways but he's considered more sympathetic. Look at that sort of thing is the thing that she's considering here. So it's about feminism um, and not just but on a, a little bit more of a specific geeky nerdy life kind of um angle. Although she does talk a little, it also has like an autobiographical element. So she talks a bit about being chronically ill and having to try to survive as a woman writing novels with a chronic illness before Obamacare and what that looked like versus after Obamacare passed um, and how having healthcare dependable and affordable healthcare completely revolutionized her ability to like think creatively and write novels, which was something that I hadn't really considered uh, because I am not chronically ill and I do not need to consider those sorts of things uh, in my daily life. Um, but it was really eye-opening for me. Uh, if you are online ever, you know, a lot of these concepts will be familiar to you. If you are an outspoken woman who is ever like on Twitter once, um, then you'll, you'll recognize a lot of the, the things that she's talking about. Um, but a lot, a lot of the other stuff is just like, well, I'd never considered that. <laughs> like the unlikable women thing I had thought about, but she she talks about it from the point of view of somebody writing those characters and how she has to push through her own like writing of female characters who are who have these very traditionally masculine traits and um you know your knee jerk reaction is to be like, "Oh, that makes that they're gross, they're gruff, whatever." But Cameron Hurley like writes the heck out of those characters, so she she knows of what she speaks. So that's The Geek Feminist Revolution by Cameron Hurley. I picked We're Going to Need More Wine by Gabrielle Union, which is her memoir. Um, and, oh, trigger warning for discussion of her rape. I'm not going to go into it on the show, but you should know that she dedicates some time talking about it. Um, so, yeah, she is so interesting. I I knew I wanted to read this book because, you know, it's Gabrielle Union. Like, she's iconic in my sort of teen movie life as especially. Um, and the fact that she still almost could pass for a teenager is just like bananas. Let's just, let's just <laughs> note that. Um, but I was really curious and I was hearing a lot of good things about this. So I got it from the library and I read it over a weekend and it is just so honest and raw. And also um, it is, it is often funny. And like, she's, she's a little bit crass sometimes. Like she's got like kind of a dirty sense of humor, which I was not expecting. It was just very unexpected to me. So it's sort of a collection of essays, um, more than a straightforward memoir. And if my, if the acknowledgements are any clue, what it sounds like in terms of the writing process is that she like told her stories, like specific stories to her ghostwriter. And then like they got put into words, but it's very conversational. Like it really does sound like she's across from you with a glass of wine telling you these stories. And she talks about so many things. She talks about colorism um, and her own struggle to deal with colorism, both like 
uh, the way people used um, colorism in the black community on her and then the way she used it on other people. Um, she's talking about, yeah, feminism, you know, gender dynamics in Hollywood, beauty standards, um, like growing up in Nebraska and like California. She, she spent a lot of summers with her family in Nebraska, which was a very black community, but she lived in, you know, California in a very white suburb. So she was the only black girl in school sometimes. Um, and it's just so, it's just so, it's so readable. Like, it's just really fascinating. She does do a lot of name dropping, which I expected. Like, this is a Hollywood memoir. Of course, you're going to see, like, fancy people on the page. Um, but, you know, in between <laughs> the, like, you know, glitz and the glamour, she's talking about, like, her failed first marriage and how, like, how she behaved and how he behaved. And um, and now, like, being a stepmom, she's just she's just really real. And, and there are some moments where you're just like, boy, I wish that like I do not agree with that opinion at all like there's certainly moments where you're just like yeesh um but she but she's being real with you and and she's letting people see and like she talks about how hard that is for her but how also important she feels like it is like as a black woman in Hollywood um as a like a 40 something actress as an assault survivor like she feels like this is important so this is what she's gonna do so yeah it's it's like it's brave in a really impressive way as well as just very compelling and and fun to read. So that is We're Going to Need More Wine uh, by Gabrielle Union. And the next question is from Ashley, who says, I'm looking for a graphic novel slash comic recommendation. I love the format, but find that I'm quite picky. Based on what I've read and liked, it seems that I prefer comics geared towards a younger audience. I'm not opposed to more adult slash mature content, but I'm not super into gratuitous violence slash nudity, etc. I loved Nimona, Lumberjanes, Lucky Penny, Hench Girl, all of Brian Lee O'Malley's work, and Paper Girls. So if there's anything you can can recommend similar to those i'd love to hear about it what do you got amanda okay i picked misfit city volume one by kirsten smith uh and it's uh, the art is by uh kurt lusgarden and naomi frankwis and so misfit city is how to describe it's a female retelling of the goonies set in modern times written by one of the writers of legally blonde so it is amazing, is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's not an exact retelling of the Goonies, but it's very, it's like loosely based on the concept. So uh, it takes place in a small town in the Pacific Northwest, and it's about a group of four best friends, uh, four girls, and they are best friends. They're a little bit older than Lumberjanes. They're in high school um, or about to graduate teenagers at any rate. Um, and so the move, the, their little hometown is famous for nothing except being the set where a 1980s cult movie was filmed, and that movie is called The Gloomies. <laughs> and it's about a bunch of kids who go on an adventure and, like, pirates and et cetera. So, you know, The Goonies. Um, and so the four of them are they have a lot of teenage angsty problems. They're, one of them is in a band. Uh, like, they're trying to figure out how to pay for college, uh, boys, girls, that sort of stuff. Um, and they are... Um, bored <laughs> you know it's like a small town there's nothing to do they're tired of the tourists who come in and um annoy them trying to go like hunt up gloomy's memorabilia and things like that and then they discover a pirate map and it's left to them by an eccentric like older guy who has died in the town and it's left to the gloomy's museum that one of the the girls works for um and of course it's like Oh, a map. Ha ha. Mm. Like, they think it's a joke or whatever. And then it turns out to be maybe real a little bit. And then they have to go on this, like, grand adventure through their small town to find out where the, the pirate treasure map takes them. It's 
great. Like it's all the things that you love about Lumberjanes. The the characters are super diverse. One of the girls is uh, indigenous and a lesbian and one of them is black. Um, they have a lot, they're poor. Like it's such a great cast of characters. Like they just feel really, really real. Um, and their their dialogue. One of their one of the characters is like super woo and into like crystals and seances and just says like the most ridiculous things. Anyway, it's really really funny. Um, the villains are hilarious, and the, the villains are these. Uh, in volume one, you don't quite get all of their backstory, um, but so far we know that the villains are related to the old man who left them the treasure map. They come into town and like want the map, and they're gonna find those meddling kids who took it and all of this sorts of thing. But they're like maybe forty, and they're just. Um, like hipsters, it's just really funny. <laughs> they like gentrifying hipster people who come into this town looking for the treasure map. It's really great. Uh, so if that at all, if like a modern all female retelling of the Goonies with a legally blonde sort of tone sounds appealing to you, then you should go check that out. So that's Misfit, Misfit City, excuse me, by Kirsten. How have I never heard of that? I I know it's like getting no nothing. It's oh. from Boom, which is like isn't that the same. People yeah. who did Lumberjanes. I don't know. It's not. I haven't heard any buzz about it, but it is so much fun. Note to self, must acquire. <laughs> um, I also love All Ages Comics, and I am so delighted to recommend to you Gem and the Holograms Volume 1, which is called Showtime. It is indeed a reboot of the Gem and the Holograms cartoon um, from back in our day. It is by Kelly Thompson and Sophie Campbell. Um, I will tell you that some of the issues have uh, Sophie's dead name, Ross, because she transitioned sort of after the series had started. Um, but it should hopefully not be that shouldn't prevent you from finding what you need to find. Um, and oh, my goodness, it is so much fun. I I was like I was familiar-ish with Gem like growing up, but I wasn't like a diehard fan. But even to my understanding, like a lot of diehard fans are really enjoying this. And what they've done is made it just incredibly inclusive and body positive. Like it is just a joy to look at and to read. So the plot is that um Jerica is the lead and she's the singer, but she's super shy and she can't sing in front of anybody except for her bandmates who are also her sisters and like obviously they can't be a band if they can't play live shows um but then she discovers synergy which is the hologram computer that her father left her um and now she can like be the hologram instead of herself um and they enter a competition uh, and the misfits, the other band, like which are also their arch enemies are sort of like, they have a label and they're like on a big tour and they do like a, you know, battle of the bands kind of thing to raise publicity. And so Gem and the holograms enter and they're like a smash hit, but the misfits don't actually want good competition. Like they were planning on like, you know, being the best in the competition and now they have rivals. Um, and then also there is a love story between one of the band members in the holograms and in the misfits which like complicates everything um and yeah there's secret relationships and secret identities and it's just so fun um and watching the sisters in the band interact with each other is really lovely there's some really funny sort of like set pieces like there's a giant food fight at some point in the comic like with the misfits it's just ridiculous <laughs> um and it's just i yeah it was like it was the comic that I read when I was like 
the world is terrible. I hate everything. Like, I just want to feel better. And I would be like, where is my gem? Like, where is gem in the holograms? <laughs> so, yeah. And I just love the art style. Sophie Campbell is just like a freaking art genius. I can't even. Um, so I like, un like wholeheartedly recommend this to everyone. Everybody read it. So that's Gem in the Holograms. The first volume is called Showtime. Okay, question four is from Christina, who says, I have a seven-year-old son who is in second grade and loves to read. He reads above his grade level, and I'm looking for book recommendations for him, but also that are appropriate for his age. He's very much interested in Legos and Minecraft. I'm wondering if there are any good but appropriate children's mysteries out there for him. He's recently discovered the Goosebump series in his grandpa's basement from when my husband was a kid and started on those. That's hilarious. Um, mm -hmm. So my I have twin boys who will be seven in March, and they have been loving the Key Hunter series, which is by Eric Looper. Uh, the first book is called The Mysterious Moonstone. I read these to them. They're a little bit, um, like, maybe one or two grade levels above their their reading level at the moment. So if you have a seven-year-old who is an advanced reader, it'll probably be, like, perfect. Um, so they're about uh, best friends, Cleo and Evan, and they are in school one day wondering, like, where their favorite librarian has gone. She has mysteriously disappeared and been replaced by a new librarian who is very mean and no one likes her. Um, and then while they are trying to kind of investigate where their old friend the librarian went, they discover a hidden panel in the library behind which are tons of hidden books. Um, and they figure out that their librarian friend has somehow disappeared into one of the books. And in trying to figure out how to save her, they get sucked into it. And they are sucked into the book, which is a kind of Sherlock, well, it is like a Sherlock Holmes um, mystery about a missing diamond. And when they are sucked into it, they are like in that time period. So like they're wearing period of clothes and befriend the Sherlock Holmes character and his pal Watson, who's actually a bulldog in the book, which is adorable. And my oh, children love that. Cute. Yeah. Um, and so they're in this family's house. Their moon, the mysterious moonstone is the, the jewel in question that has gone missing. Um, and they help Sherlock and Watson the dog and the family solve the mystery. Um, and the, the book that I have of this came from the book fair. So I don't know if like the normal editions come like this, but it's kind of manga-ish where like one side you flip it over. One side is one book and then you flip it over and it goes backwards and the other side is the other book. And on the other, the other book is the second one in the series and it's where Cleo and Evan become spies um, and have to infiltrate like a, a, a villain secret lair and they're like sharks with lasers and it's just a lot of fun. You know, like <laughs> I feel like a seven-year-old boy will be like here for all of this, like a bulldog that solves mysteries, sharks with lasers. Like it's just great. Um, I like that the book has a girl as one of the leads also. That's a, a problem that I've had a little bit with finding books that my boys will read because they are also obsessed with Minecraft and Legos and like that is not necessarily like books about those things do not have tons of female leads that I have found. Um, so that's something else that I appreciated about it. And if you plan to read these out loud to them or out loud to him, I say them when I'm talking about kids constantly because that's my life, I'm sorry, um, to him, then um, it's like entertaining enough to keep an adult interested, um, which thank you. I appreciate. So that's The Mysterious <laughs> Moonstone by Eric Looper, which is the Key Hunters series. Amazing. <laughs> Um, I had to get uh, help on this one because I was just like, oh boy, I don't know. Most of the middle grade I've read is is older, uh, like older middle grade. Um, 
And so I asked a uh, former book writer, Preeti, um, what she might recommend because she's very well versed in kids books. And she recommended the Brixton Brothers series the, by Mac Barnett and illustrated by Adam Rex. Um, the first one is called The Case of the Case of Mistaken Identity. And um, I do love Adam Rex's work and he is such a good illustrator. So I, I'm excited to recommend these and, and to check them out myself. Um, obviously, the main character's name is Steve Brixton and he has always wanted to be a detective and then he gets his first case and there's a national treasure that needs to get recovered and there's a criminal mastermind and he also has a social studies report due on Monday um and you know there's cops and thugs and secret agent librarians also we need like a roundup post about like librarian focused mysteries. <laughs> we it do. It's like this is like a thing, right? Like our librarians who are like secret agents slash like d- disappearing into books. Like, is that a thing? Um, anyway, so yes, uh, it is very, it is very like actiony and a little bit silly because Mac Barnett is a very silly writer. Um, if he he has a series of picture books, also he's the guy who did. Um, Oh gosh, what was it? Triangle, which I think is so funny. If you haven't seen that picture book, definitely pick it up. He also wrote Extra Yarn, which is like a beloved picture book of mine. So yeah, he's a writer you want to keep an eye out for. And um, Preeti said this would be like age appropriate and also, you know, very fun to read. So that is The Case of the Case of Mistaken Identity, the first in the Brixton Brothers series, um, written by Mac Barnett and illustrated by Adam Rex. Okay, oh, it's time for our second sponsor, which is Heart on Fire by Amanda Boucher, the third book and the the concluding book in the Kingmaker Chronicles. I read the first book in this series uh, for an SFF Yeah episode, and somebody was looking for like romance, like fantasy that was also um, romance, romanticy is how they called it. And this was what I found. And it is great. Um, the main character, Catalia Cat Fisa has spent her entire life running from her family. Um, but they have finally caught up with her and she, since this is the third book in the series. So like, you know, minor spoilers in this plot, but don't even worry about it. (laughs) Um, So now she has to become the queen of Thaleria, and she and her husband, Griffin, will have to go to war with the oppressive Fisa and its violent, like, matriarch, who is known as the Alpha, who is also Kat's homicidal mother, um, and her magic is not working like it should, and so she has to go and unleash the power that she has been afraid of um and of course then nothing is simple and she like misuses her gifts and that lands her in Tartarus because this is Greek inspired so there's a lot of like Greek god mythology involved um and she has to accept herself if she wants any chance of making it out alive so there's like a real world action story and then sort of like a supernatural action story on top of it um it is a really fun world to play in. The main character, Kat, is very sassy, um, but it's also like, it's like medievalish, like oldie time Greek mythology world. So she's like a little bit contemporary in a very non-contemporary world, and I found that really entertaining. Um, and the second book in the series, Breath of Fire, has sold over 14,000 copies and made the USA Today bestseller list. And it's an RT book reviews top pick. So there's a lot of praise uh, for this series. And if you are looking for something that is fun and action packed and has romance and fantasy in it, and if you love Greek mythology, these are all reasons you should pick this series up. So the third book, Heart on Fire by Amanda Boucher, is out now. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. 
All right, let's see. Oh, more romance. <laughs> Our next question is from Anonymous, who says, I'm constantly trying to expand my genre tastes, and I think it's time to try some romance. There's just one problem. I'm polyamorous, and I don't know where to look for poly romance, really. I have very low co- tolerance for competition between potential partners as a plot forwarding device and have trouble empathizing with characters in monogamous relationships, angsting about cheating and wandering potential. I've read Ascension and liked the concept, but find, found the writing quality wanting. I'm open to any subgenre of romance as long as at least some of the primary characters are polyamorous. What you got, Amanda? Okay, I picked Glutton for Pleasure by Alicia Rye, which is an erotic romance, so it's more on the lots of sex scenes side of the romance spectrum. I was a little, I don't know, hesitant going into this book when I read it a couple of years ago because it's about a woman who falls in love with a set of twins, which is... <laughs> I have twins, so it was very like, how is this going to go? <laughs> but I love Alicia Rye, and I trusted her, you know, as a writer, so I went into it, and I ended up loving it, and it was fine. Um, so the main character's name is Debbie. She is a head chef in her family's Indian restaurant. Uh, she is Indian. Um, and she is kind of, like, going nowhere with her love life. She's had a series of really not great relationships. Her mother is very judgmental. Her sister is, like, all up in her business. So she's just kind of living life behind the scenes. Um and not not being proactive when it comes to pursuing romance or really doing anything except focusing on her career. And then Marcus and Jace Callahan are the brothers who come into her life. Uh, I don't remember which one she has a secret crush on. I think it's Marcus. I don't remember. Uh, One of them is like a regular at her restaurant and she has developed this like crush on the guy. Um, And he, unbeknownst to her, also has a crush on her. Um, the, The catch here is that he does not involve himself in romantic relationships without his brother. Like, the two of them have, uh, because of stuff that's happened in their past, this is, like, just the thing that they've grown up to want and need. So they are a, 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 a set. They are a duo. They are a pair. They come together. Um, and so she, they, like, approach her one night with kind of a proposition of, like, we both really like you, and we would. this is would you like to participate in this situation? And she hesitates at first. And then she's like, you know what? I'm going I'm to do it. I'm going to have an adventure. So she does. And it's supposed to just be like a one night stand kind of thing. Um, unbeknownst to her, the one who's, who uh, she had a crush on initially, whose name I can't remember, um, is getting kind of tired of this like one night stand thing with his brother. He wants a relationship. Like he wants to get married, maybe like raise a family. He wants his brother involved. They just like, he wants his brother there. Um, they just have to find the right woman. And he thinks that maybe Debbie is it. So it is a book of, you know, a lot about sex, to be honest, but it's also about him kind of convincing his brother that maybe it's time for them to settle down. Um, and then trying to figure out if like Debbie trying to figure out if that's a life that she's willing to lead of being seriously like in a committed romantic relationship with two people, like how her, how is her very traditional family going to respond to that when she like shows up to weddings with two guys? (laughs) Like what's that going to look like? Um, so there's a lot, it isn't anything about, there's no, um, as far as I could tell, I mean, this is not my situation, so I don't, I don't necessarily know, but as far as I could tell, there were, there weren't any of the cliches or stereotypes that you mentioned in your question. There aren't any like, Aside from, I think her sister, when her sister finds out, has some of those, well, what if you like one more than the other kind of angsty sort of stuff, but there's no competition between the two brothers and her. They just kind of fall into this relationship um, and then go about making themselves happy and deciding if that's what they want to do. So, yeah, and all of the um, sex scenes are pretty hot. 
if you can get past the the twin thing, which was a struggle for me, I have to admit. But I got there and it was fine. So that's Glutton for Pleasure by Alicia Rye. So I have to ask, is there twin cest in this? Um, no. No. Okay. No. Curious. Yeah. Um, okay, I do also love Alicia mm-hmm. Rye, but I have specifically not read those for the same reasons you had. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they <laughs> like, are like, all three of them are very involved in the sex scenes, but there is no, none of that. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Um, well, so we have a post about polyerotic romance uh, from a few years back that I'm going to link to in the show notes. Um, and, you know, it's really interesting when I was looking around for something to pick for you, I was thinking about how often Polly shows up in sci-fi, but it's usually like an alien is the third party. Like I was thinking about the Xenogenesis series by Octavia Butler, how that's like definitely like Polly structure, but like the Owen Collie, like aliens are involved. Um, and it kind of shows up in Becky Chambers' book too, but again, like aliens. And it's it was very interesting to me that like, this is a trope that will show up all the time as long as not all of the participants are human. Weird. But then, what, but then when you want to get like, no, no, I actually want all of them to be human, it is much harder to find, which is interesting to me. So anyway, okay, but so so I found for you a Regency polyerotic romance called the, uh, yes, it's called Bound to be a Groom. It's the first in a series by Megan Mulry. And it takes place in like 1800s Spain and England. Um, And it starts off with uh, the main character is Anna, who is attending a wedding of like a very highborn friend of theirs. Um, She's grown up in a convent um, and she is attending the wedding of this friend. And her mission is to find a guy to be to become she wants to become a courtesan um and the reason she wants to do this is because she is in love with pia who she has grown up with in the convent they have had a secret relationship because this is 1800 spain um and she like her basically her solution to the problem of them being together is for her to like get money and power so that she can live the life that she wants and for that she needs a man involved so she's like okay well i'm gonna go get some experience um because she's a virgin at this point and she's like I need to learn how to please men and 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 then get a you know get a job as a courtesan this is what I'm going to do and so she picks Sebastian because he looks, you know, he's attractive and he like is giving off a vibe that is interesting to her. Um, and so they have an encounter, but it turns out that like Anna is very dominant and Sebastian has like is very submissive. Hmm. And so they're unexpectedly a perfect match. And Sebastian convinces her that no, no, what's going to happen is they're going to get married and then go get Pia. Like he's on board with bringing Pia into the relationship from the get go. He's like, that's cool cool you marry me we'll go get her and like we you don't have to be a courtesan like we'll just do this thing um so so and then I don't want to like I don't want to spoil some there's there there's not a lot of like plot here but there's some emotional plot points that I don't want to spoil and then so okay so it's initially Anna Sebastian and Pia and then there is the added another man who Sebastian has a past with um comes into the picture and what made this such an interesting read is it is there's a lot of sexy times like it is very erotic but also she approaches the sort of emotional negotiations without the angst so like 
some of them do have, like, Pia does have doubts when Anna shows up with this guy. And she's like, we're going to be together, all three of us. And she's like, um. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, this is not what I thought was going to happen. Um, and then, you know, both Pia and Sebastian are submissive and Anna's kind of in charge. And when this other guy shows up, like, Anna has to, like, you know, there's not, like, a competition. But there's definitely, like, some emotional negotiation about, like, well, what does this look like? Like, what am I what do I want for this relationship? Like, what do other people want for this? Like, how are we going to make this work? Um, and it happens pretty quickly because it's not a super long book. Um, but it is just very, like, it It hits a lot of emotional touch points as well as a lot of, like, you know, sex scenes. So I thought that was a really good balance. Um, and it seems like the series, the other books I took a look, seem very interesting as well. So there's more there. I don't know that they're all poly, but, like, they are certainly all, like, not just, like, your standard vanilla pairing. So, um, so that is Bound to be a Groom by Megan Mulry. The second one has, like, two ladies in a clinch pose on the cover yep that's amazing one click Mm -hmm. and their regency like you don't often get like queer like erotic regency that goes beyond the normal stuff you know what i mean huh yeah i'm gonna normal i mean the standard i guess or default what is what is the word i want status quo status quo thank you that's what i was looking for i'm gonna read that okay question six is from heather who says i'm an avid reader but tend to stick to mostly fantasy sci-fi and classics i love classic mystery slash detective books like sherlock holmes agatha christie rex stout gk chesterton's father brown and dorothy sayers but i'm struggling to find contemporary mystery detective fiction that aren't cookie cutter stories i don't like a lot of gore or sex, and I really enjoy the process of discovering who committed the crime. Any book slash series recommendations along these lines would be great. Um, I'm just keep going. Oh, if you have not watched the Father Brown series from the BBC, it's amazing. I will just say that. I love it so much. Okay, um, so I picked IQ by Joe Ide for you, um, which is a, a little bit older. It came out in 2016. Um, and this is a mystery series set in LA, and it's kind of a Sherlock retelling in as much as any story about a really smart but socially awkward guy is a Sherlock retelling. Um, So IQ is the main character. It's Isaiah, I don't remember his last name, but it starts with a Q. Um, And he's a loner. He's a high school dropout. When the book opens, he's in his very early 20s. He lives in East Long Beach, which is a really bad neighborhood in LA. The LAPD is, you know, not really, doesn't really pay much attention to the neighborhood, isn't keeping up with the crime rate. Um, So a lot of things go unsolved. Murders go unsolved in this neighborhood. Children go missing and nobody cares. The media doesn't pay attention and all this sorts of thing. Um, But Isaiah has developed a reputation for being, like, scary smart. Like, smart in ways that confuse and frighten everyone in this neighborhood. Um, And so because of that, he has started, like, to make ends meet, he helps solve these unsolvable or ignored cases for people in his neighborhood. A lot of the times they can only pay him with, like, you know, a chicken. Somebody pays him in a, in a literal chicken once or like a casserole. So they bake for him. They get tires, like just whatever they have, they give him. But sometimes um, he uses, he manages to get a client who pays him a lot of money. Um, so he's, he's featured in like a local magazine because of his skills. He gets this reputation um, and is like found <laughs> by this rap mogul who needs somebody who needs help. He, his life is in danger. Somebody is trying to kill him. So he's holding himself up in his house to protect himself. The rap star has, um, except the killer has started using a pit bull who he is trained, 
um, to obey whistle commands to, like, get into the guy's house. Like, someone is trying to kill him and will stop at nothing, including training a killer dog um, to get him. So he hires Isaiah uh, to figure out who's behind these attempts on his life. Uh, so he gets deep into this case, and it's just, it's such an interesting uh, mystery. I mean, I don't know, like, L.A. is so far removed, I mean, like, literally so far removed from where I live, um, that, it, it, and it is kind of its own character, and I love when a book can successfully do that well. Isaiah is so good. Like, he's just, oh, he's great. I love him so much. Um, when he, you get some of his backstory, like, some of the chapters go back and forth uh, with flashbacks, and you find out that he, uh, his parents were gone, he was being raised by an older brother, who gave up on his career goals in order to take care of Isaiah as a kid. Isaiah is a genius, and he's in all of these advanced classes in school. He's, like, on a track to go to Yale, and then his brother gets hit by a car. And because Isaiah doesn't want to, and dies, Isaiah doesn't want to go into the foster care system, so he, like, hustles. And the book is very much about him hustling to stay by himself, make ends meet, um, and use his brain in ways that make him happy and satisfy him, uh, which ends up being helping people around his neighborhood. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, obviously, it's this super diverse cast of characters. The cops are, like, just not involved at all <laughs> in the book, which I kind of appreciated. Um, and the second book just came out, and it's called Righteous. So, yeah, go check that out. It's IQ by Joe Ide. I picked my one of my favorite cozies for you. It's Auntie Lee's Delights, which is the first in the Singaporean mystery series by Ovidia Yu. And um, the detective in question is not actually a detective. Uh, her name is Rosie uh, Lee, and everybody calls her Auntie Lee. And she is a widow, and she runs a home cooking restaurant, and um, she is like a super nosy, busybody type woman. She, when her husband was alive, she was very very like, you know, he was well off and she could have just done nothing but like shopped all the time, but she decided she wanted to have a restaurant. Um, and then she, so she's been running this restaurant for a while. Um, and then one day a body is found in one of the sort of tourist areas of Singapore. And then that night, one of a, there's like a dinner party at the restaurant and one of the very fancy guests fails to shows up. And so because she is nosy and a busybody, she's like, I bet these things are connected. Um, and so then the book sort of unfolds from there. There's also a police commissioner, uh, a rookie cop um, whose last name is Raja, who uh, she like ends up having to interact with a lot because she like it turns out she is connected in ways that are not, you know, it, that are interesting to the police. Um, and it is not super gory. There is sort of a underlying like LGBTQ theme to the book, but it's not, there's no sex on the page. And like it, it, yeah, it's, it's like a very, it is very much a cozy mystery. Um, but there's a lot of red herrings and Auntie Lee is just such a delightful character. Like I find her so enjoyable to read. Um, and, and the structure of the book plays out really well. And so, yeah, I think this would definitely fit into that sort of like, you know, it's contemporary, but it's like got that oldie time, you know, can like, cozy feel to it. So that is Auntie Lee's Delights by Ovidia Yu. 
Our next question is from Max, who says, I've been doing a lot of very heavy, very dry reading for my degree, and I need some fun books to read in the meantime. Um, I thought I would get as far away from that as possible and read some fantasy, but I'm so busy with school, I don't have as much time to read as I wish I did, so I'm hesitant to start a series. I thought some YA could do the trick, um, and I feel like every day I hear about a new YA fantasy novel that's coming out. I recently read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell and thought it was spectacular, and I also read The Magician and thought it was great. My favorite author is Neil Stevenson, but I don't have the ability to read such complicated and heavy subject matter at the moment. I'm just going to keep talking. So I think that you will super enjoy Akata Witch by Nettie Okorafor. Um, both Carry On and The Magicians involve like a magic school. And this is sort of that, except like in Nigeria in a village. Uh, the main character, Sunny, was born in New York. And now her family is living in Nigeria and she's like a little bit, she's a fish out of water. Like she's an albino and she's incredibly sensitive to the sun and she's American, but she is black and now she's in Africa and like she's having trouble fitting in. Um, all she really wants to do is get to play football, but like the boys don't want to let her um, and get through school without being bullied, which is complicated because she's an albino and also is from America originally. Um, she finally makes some friends and then it turns out that not only are her friends involved in like magic, but she has magical abilities that she did not know about. Um, and so now she is immersed in this sort of world beneath the world that she knows. And in the meantime, a very bad person is kidnapping and maiming children. And her coven, which is what they call like the group of um, young magicians, uh, is like is sort of set to try to help solve this because of um, some things that some people have seen magically, like seen. So it is it is a really intense plot. Um, it is also a really lovely exploration of what it is like to be a fish out of water in your daily life, and then to discover like these hidden you know worlds that help you find connection with the people. Around around you. Um, there's a sequel that just came out called Akata Warrior. So if you do have time for a second one, there is another one. But this one comes to a really satisfying conclusion. Like it's there's not a cliffhanger. It could stand alone. It did for a long time. Um, there's a big gap between the writing of Akata Witch and um, Akata Warrior. So yeah, I just, I really, like somebody once described this as like the Nigerian Harry Potter. And I don't think that's so far yeah. off. Like it has a lot of the same, it, it like scratches a lot of that same itch. Uh, uh, in terms of reading enjoyment. So that's Akata Witch by Nettie Okorafor. Okay, I picked A Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab, uh, which is the first book in the Shades of Magic trilogy? Question mark? Yes, trilogy. Um, but I have only read the first one, and in my opinion, it resolves nicely enough that, like, if you're not, if you don't want to continue, you don't have to. Like, all your questions are pretty much answered uh, in the first one. So if you're, like, you said you're not in the mood for a series, you don't have to continue. Uh, so this is about uh, a guy named Kel, who is in his early 20s, maybe, late teens. Um, and he is one of the last, uh, what's called Antari, which are magicians with this ability to travel in between parallel Londons, which he's given names after color. He's named it after colors, so hence the Shades of Magic uh, title. Red London is where he's from, and the magic in this universe is very, like, vibrant and, and um, uh, all, all-encompassing. all Like, it's everywhere. Like, everybody can use it a little bit in Red London. And he's raised by the um, 
royal family to be an ambassador. So he travels between the different London's um, communities, uh, taking messages back and forth between the royal families of the different uh, worlds or parallel cities. Um, the Great, Great London has no magic, so that one's kind of like the dullest and the, the more boring. White London is very violent and scary. There used to be a Black London, but the magic there got very corrupted and terrible, and so it has been shut off and assumedly like destroyed. He also, so he does this thing in his official capacity, goes back and forth as an ambassador, but he's also a smuggler, which is very illegal. You're not supposed to bring anything back and forth between um, the different Londons, but he does. He, people are willing to pay to see glimpses of like you know other worlds that they're never going to see because they don't have these magical abilities. So he brings stuff back and forth um, for his own personal reasons. And then an exchange goes really badly. He uh, brings something into his home, London, from another area that he is just like not supposed to. And it could mean the end of like everything that he knows. Um, and so while that's happening, he runs into Delilah Bard, who is the other main character, who lives in Grey London, and she's a thief wannabe pirate she robs him and like steals this thing that he was not supposed to have in the first place she has no magical abilities in this book and so it's like a disaster um then she saves his life when he's trying to get the thing back um because like all hell is breaking loose and then he like she finally kind of blackmails him into taking her into the other Londons to go on an adventure because she's bored. Like, she's just this great, (laughs) terrible character. She's very annoying. Like, she's pushy and, um, not, doesn't make good choices, like, as far as her personal safety goes, but it all kind of works out. Like, she's that kind, she's that kind of character, like, makes bad decisions that, that kind of work out because she's charming and she gets away with it somehow. Um, so they have to, like, go on this adventure to right this terrible wrong that he's done. Um, and yeah, it's just, like, it's fun. It's an easy read. If you're used to reading or have, have had to read a lot of, like, dry, slow stuff for school, I think this would be a good kind of antidote to that. So that's A Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab. And that is our show. Hooray. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Please do take a moment and leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people to find the show, and we always love to see feedback. Thank you so much to today's sponsors. You can find me on social media on Tumblr these days. It's jenirl.tumblr.com. What about you, Amanda? I'm mostly on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.